Reaver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Park Ravery Group, we invite you to visit parkravery.com. On this episode, I'm speaking with Marty Anderson and Russ Smith about how system implementation projects have changed since before the pandemic struck. Marty is a principal at Parker Avery with notable executive level positions in the areas of merchandise planning, allocation, replenishment, forecasting, size, pack optimization, pricing, assortment planning, organizational change, and process improvement. Russ is a senior manager at the firm, and he also has deep experience in merchandise, financial planning, and reporting, as well as strategic planning covering business process design, training, change management, and system implementations. Both Marty and Russ were deep into client implementation projects pre-COVID, and when things started ramping back up for our clients, they and their teams had to change many aspects of approaching and managing these types of projects to quickly adapt to a much more remote environment. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Nice to see you all today. I wanted to jump right into these remote implementation considerations. First, let's talk about how the pandemic interrupted implementations that had already been in flight before the world shut down. What were some of the big takeaways from this huge disruption? We were just starting in. We had done our kickoff and really started design, actually, and gotten through several design sessions when the COVID shutdown hit and the organization I was working with um, came to a full stop, obviously, which a lot of groups did. And it was definitely disruptive. Um, You know, the one thing I would say I learned is keep your notes, um, keep all the work that you've done because you're going to have to pick it back up, you know, make sure that you know where you went back to because I think when we started back up, it was at least six months later when we started back up. And so I had to go back through even and read through the notes and catch up on some of the design conversations that we had had before, because there were some preliminary decisions that were made, but we wanted to cover those again. And then, you know, sometimes the players changed. So some of the players changed, actually. The project I'm on, Russ started with me, but then when we started back up, he was already on a different project that had kicked off um, because we didn't know when or if this one was gonna go back again. And uh, so you kind of had to catch up a new resource. And same thing on the business side. You know, some of the players changed in between the time that we stopped and the time that we started back again. So um, we def- all having all the notes to read back through and go through was pretty critical. Right. And as, as Marty mentioned, I, I was one of the players on that project that, that changed. And, and based on timing, when we started back up, I had, I had moved on to a different project. So um, as it turned out, came back onto that project later on. And but initially in the first startup, he had a different he had a different team to work with and I was I had moved on to something different. 
Right. Well, when the when the gears did start moving again, um, besides handling many activities remotely, how did how did system implementation teams have to change so that their projects could try to get back on track as much as possible? One of the big things for me, we had and we had a lot of conversation with the client about this before kicking off again was about the team size. I think when Russ and I originally started the project pre-COVID, there were about 21 people on our client side who were in the room, um, in the big conference room going through the design sessions. It was a little larger than even we would typically like, but it was it was pretty big. And I think when we kicked off remotely, we drilled it down to about six business people plus the IT counterparts that we needed. And so we had we drilled it down substantially just to keep it a little smaller because it gets really distracting when you have that many people in a Teams environment or a, a Zoom environment trying to talk and understand and ask questions. So team size was one of the big things that changed for sure. Yeah, I think in addition to team size, one of the things that, that changed was making sure that the, that everyone working remotely had the capability to communicate remotely. And in other words, are you using the same platform, Teams versus Zoom? Or are you, do the participants have what they need as far as are they familiar with how to use that application? And, and do they have the, you know, in some cases you need, you may need dual monitors. Do they have access to that? Those, those, the preparation up front, I think, is, uh, is important too. Yeah, and I would say, and for our particular client that we were working with right now, um, until COVID hit, I mean, even though they had teams, they just weren't used to using it. Because in retail, unlike some other industries, up until this point, it wasn't highly typical that you would work a lot of hours remotely, maybe on Fridays or or something like that. But it, you didn't do a lot of remote work. And so there, I know their IT team were, was doing these crash courses on you know how to use the technology and how to run and present in meetings and do all the things that you need to do to make sure that their people even just could continue running their business and stuff, which of course helped a lot. That you know they got that training and then they got a lot of practice by the time we came back. You know, six months later. Um, the, the other thing I was thinking too, as you were talking, Russ, was time zone scheduling mm -hmm. uh, because when we all went remote, we also went to different time zones, and yes, so. Even within our company, we're in different time zones. Some of the technical people we're working with might be offshore in vastly different time zones. One of our designers was in Europe. Um, so time zone aligning and, and aligning on the target time zone, which of course is usually always the client's time zone, but from a scheduling standpoint was a little difficult too, especially when you have someone in design that's in Europe, someone doing technical that's in India, the business team that's in Central or Eastern. We had part in Eastern, part in Central. It was, scheduling was a little harder, I think, sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, and Marty, you touched on the, the Teams versus Zoom. I, I, the client that I moved on to, they handled all of theirs, uh, all of their remote communication via Zoom, and so, that required them setting me up on their Zoom system because we uh, we use Teams, so that was that was some some preparation that had to occur ahead of time so that I could you know schedule meetings and and do that kind of thing was was I had to be set up on their on their system. So uh, it's it's little things like that that you would consider housekeeping things, but still have to be done. Right, and that all eats into 
just time requirements for the project overall. I'm, I'm interested in the size of the teams and how much leaner they became with a virtual or remote environment. How, how did people make the cut um, essentially to be on the implementation team versus that the 20 plus people that were there before? Do you, do you have insights to that? Definitely. Um, actually, I gave a lot of feedback based on the original, because like I said, we had started and already had a good bit of engagement um, and, we're, and we're through several design sessions when everything came to a halt. And so we, we looked at it from people who focused. So we had a mix of planning representatives versus buying representatives versus IT representatives, um, overall ad, admin type, business admin type roles. And so making sure that we had a good distribution of each one of the representative roles who would need to be involved and be a key stakeholder within the implementation. And then within those groups, once we split the people into those kind of role groups, really looked back at the on-site um, piece that we did and kind of looked at who was the most engaging, who was most interactive on the on-site, who was you know really kind of giving their opinion or really driving the conversation and, and kind of ranked them a little higher and made those recommendations back to the clients that, hey, when we were on site, these were the people that were really driving the conversation for everybody else from your side and had a strong point of view. They represent a large chunk of your business or really had good performance there or whatever and gave that feedback. And then ultimately it was up to the client to choose if they agreed with that and, and wanted those people to be the representatives. Uh, we also had the conversation that because it was remote, these people also had to kind of have decision rights, right? Yeah. They're in design, they're making decisions. So the people that we choose, um, need, it needs to be someone that you trust to be in the room because there's going to be so much fewer of them. Make sure that the ones that you trust are people that you feel can make good decisions for the company and the direction of the implementation. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll echo that about the, the people that they choose have decision rights. What I, what I, what I experienced, there was almost an advantage, I guess, to doing it the way that we did was the remotely was that it moved to smaller groups, and it seemed that it seemed that the people that they that they chose that the client chose were empowered to make the to make more decisions. And and I made the comment to someone that it seemed to me there was more actual work time meetings or work sessions than presentation sessions. Obviously, they wanted to move quickly, um, so we were um, addressing challenges that were occurring at the moment and so those people were empowered to make decisions and and there wasn't as much concern around it being the perfect decision as as it just being a decision to keep us moving forward yeah and that makes a lot of sense so that you know some of these projects that were put on pause during the first part of the the pandemic that they could at least try to get back on a, a viable rollout schedule. This kind of leads to the third question as far as the efficiency of doing implementation work, you know, project management, design workshops, testing, and things like that. Can you comment about, you know, outside of the leanness of the team and the, the quicker decision making, um, can you comment about the efficiency of doing some of these tasks remotely? Sure. For me, it was a combination of pros and cons. I think that there were times where I, I would say, there was more work time and productivity a lot of times 
due to I had to spend less time commuting or traveling, certainly in consulting. You know, we're either traveling to a different city and then, of course, everybody's traveling, you know, to and from either home to work or we're traveling from hotel to the, the site every morning. And and so there was actually more work time. And, and even to that, even just moving from one meeting to the next, because, you know, on an on-site, you have to leave your meeting. You might have to run across the building to a different room or, or people are coming in late because they had a back-to-back meeting when people are literally just making one call and switching to the next. Um, I didn't see nearly as many people running late into the meeting, which was an issue when we were in the on-site environment and we were starting meetings on time. We were getting more productivity. So those were really good um, results of that. We were also able to record the sessions for um, the management to look into if they wanted to see how design was going or for IT to refer back to. And, you know, that that to me was a little bit better. The, the harder part for me in design was like, you can't really like whiteboard on the fly. I know, you know, whether it's Teams or Zoom or whatever, they have some whiteboard functions that are in there. They don't really work like being in a room and walking up to a whiteboard. Yeah. Um, I, I That's really hard, you know, and you can't just do a drive-by by someone's office, you know, if you want to touch base on something really quickly or ask about a question, you have to have a lot more structured, scheduled meetings um, because you, you have to have a, a link and you have to sign in and you have to know that that's available. You can't really just like walk by someone's desk um, so much. So, and, and, and honestly, one of the hardest parts, uh, certainly as you're going through design and it, and it comes back up in training is, the lack of nonverbal, you know, when you can't see people's faces, either because the cameras are off or if you're presenting, you can't necessarily always see other people's faces at the same time. It's hard, especially when you're proposing different design options. Sometimes people won't tell you immediately that they're uncomfortable with the direction of either the conversation or the component you're talking about, but you can see the discomfort on their face or in their body language, or they'll, you know, subconsciously shake their head you can't get any of that. So you have to ask a lot more questions and you have to be a lot more open-ended and really kind of pull them into that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, I think one of the big pros is, is and Marty mentioned it, because the meetings are more structured, um, you, you do probably get uh, an advantage there efficiency-wise. But the flip side of that is, to, to his point, it, it's more difficult to... I won't say it's more difficult to keep people engaged. It's more difficult to be assured that they are engaged and that and how you can't you don't get the opportunity to read them. You have to be you have to be mindful to to engage them in more conversation. So if you make statements in your in your sessions like um, does that make sense or are we caught up? Those kind of statements where a lot of times the the response is someone nodding their head well obviously you're not seeing them nod their head so you have to sometimes actually remind people hey guys i can't see you nodding your head so i need you to respond and one of the things you know even to expand on that a little bit trisha i was just thinking you know right now these are kind of pros and cons where everyone's remote right our client, 100% of their workers are remote, we're remote, and so everybody's kind of on this even playing field. One of the things I do worry about is if, as an example, I think it would be different if our client was on site completely and we were just remote. Mm-hmm. 
some of the things I said about, you know, productivity and people being on time to meetings and things may or may not hold up. You know, if, I, if I'm clicking into the meeting on time and yet they're having to run to a conference room to log in or as a group there, I, I'm, I am curious how some of those things might work. I think the efficiency is different if everybody's remote versus if only a few people are remote. I, I don't know that it would 100% translate. Yeah, we're, we're seeing that with, with, I think, some of the schools that are some virtual, some in, in person. So that they're still ironing out what is the best model for that, for people that choose or, or have to stay home, um, which is a good, another good lead in. When, as we move towards potentially more people being on site, uh, both the business and then the consulting or the implementation team, what, what project activities do you think will be best be handled in person, face-to-face versus remote? And why do you think those are better handled in person versus remote? For me, number one, out of the gate from a systems implementation, you know, which is specifically kind of like we're talking about, is training. I, you know, when we look at different phases of the project and which things might be able to be moved to remote or, and certainly if it's a cost savings, you know, from a travel perspective, especially if you're using consulting services, you know, there, there are some activities and phases that could probably done, you know, as well remotely versus on site. Training is not one of them in my opinion. It's, and I don't see it as a cost saver either. Because, you know, to do remote, we have to greatly reduce class sizes where I would normally try to do, you know, 15 people in a class. I'm limiting to like six or seven in a, in a class, which extends the time that we have to spend doing training. And so it kind of offsets from any type of cost savings that you're doing because you're still going to have to spread that over a longer period of time, which can also delay the amount of time uh, for you to actually get in and start reaping those benefits that you're looking forward to. Um, and then the quality just doesn't seem to necessarily always be the same. You can't help multiple people. Um, you know, normally there's always at least one other person in a class helping with me to kind of monitor the room and travel around and help people making sure they're on the right screen because they can see everyone's screen. Um, I can make sure, again, it's that nonverbal. I can see if people are engaged, if they're paying attention, looking up, um, just looking confused which I can't do that. And the only way, if, the, if they are struggling or they're not on the same screen, we have to stop. That person has to share their screen. And then we kind of have to try and talk them through versus even maybe pointing to the place they're supposed to be or, or doing those things. So it, mechanically, it's, it's more difficult. And I think the quality, it's slower and, and not quite as high from quality standpoint. Again, from that both cost and technical point of view, you have to have multiple monitors, especially if you're doing systems training. As a, as a student, you have to be able to, when they're hands-on, you have to be able to watch the demo and be in your system at the same time versus in a classroom, you may look up to see the presentation or the demo, and yet you can look down and you're on your, your computer working. You'll have to have double monitors to do that in a remote environment. And then from that, standpoint as a presenter myself, I can only either display the training material or I can display the demo. Whereas a lot of times we would put up dual screens in a training classroom so that the material is always visible even even while we're doing demo. So I would say 
that's the number one thing on, on my perspective that I would definitely not do remote if I had the choice in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, and we mentioned earlier that when things started back up, I moved to a different project and that project was a process design project. And I think that in that case, a lot of the advantages are the pros that we talked about earlier with more efficient meetings, uh, smaller groups of people, more entrusted decision makers. Those all translated well onto a business process design project. But then we mentioned that when I came back onto this project that Marty's on, that I came back on to help with testing. And so I was a participant in that testing and what, you know, the things he's talking about as far as being able to assist people and make sure everyone's, you know, on a correct pace, moving through, uh, moving through without issue. Those kind of things are in a testing or training environment. Those are challenges because one of the things I noticed as a participant was that as you're going through testing scripts, you're going to be at a different place than someone else and they get hung up. Whereas if you're on site, you may have an individual, to Marty's point, uh, walking the room and helping people point to the place they need to be and those kind of things, which doesn't distract the other participants. But if you're remote, you're hearing that conversation back and forth and you may be ahead of that point in the process or behind that point in the process. So it's it, you have to deal with um, as a participant, you have to deal with the distraction of all of that going on and, and be, you know, be mindful to block that out so that you can continue with your, you know, through your script to get through your script. That's interesting, just that dynamic. And I think that's a really good takeaway. The other thing we emphasize is change management as a critical success factor. And, and we know training is a big component of that as well. What other aspects of change management have been handled with success during in a remote environment? I think I've had to reach out one-on-one more, circle back to bolster certain messages, you know, because a lot of change management is making sure that people feel confident, um, that they understand the direction that that message is translated, um, making sure they know what to do and, and that those things are handling. When you're on site, you can kind of see that, you can gauge, you can stop by. Remotely, you know, I've, I've reached out one-on-one or like after we've had either, whether it's a design session or a status meeting or it's been, you know, training even, I will ping them and say, hey, do you have a minute? Can we follow up? You know, do you have some extra time just for us? And then I will reach out and, and do some one-on-one just to, you know, gauge temperature, how are, how are things going? How's it feeling? How are you and your peers talking? Are you having the right conversations? Have you talked about this? And, and you do a lot of that, I think, on site as well. It's just sometimes it's easier when you can, you know, do it, like I said before, like a little drive by their desk, or it's easier to schedule and catch them, you know, in some downtime. Uh, you just have to make sure that you're making time for that one-on-one also making sure that you have on-site change leaders because you know one of the things with change management that you have to be on top of is like if you hear you know negative conversations because there's always going to be people who go through whether that's that resistance and that initial struggle until they really get things under their belt and really understand benefits and it's having people who overhear those conversations can and can help course correct in the moment and if 
your your change team is 100% remote, that's going to be very difficult to do. So it's really important to also on the client side really have good change agents and good change leaders who are on site or at least in those day-to-day meetings so that they can overhear those things and kind of help keep things on the right path and in the right messaging and tone and, and things of that nature, I believe. Yeah, I think I'm one of those, Marty mentioned a couple of times, the, the drive-by meetings, and I, I'm one of those that, that like to do the drive-bys. And um, I think in this case, when everyone's working remote, obviously you have to be more structured around reaching out and, and pinging people and and making sure that you touch base with those people, uh, not only the, the ones you want to make sure are comfortable, but also those change leaders that he that he mentioned, the ones that are that are on the client side. I, I think it's more of an effort to have formal conversations with them as opposed to those drive-by conversations. And change is as much emotional as it is process and anything else, and so it's more than a text message even, you know, when I say ping, it's about having that conversation, turn the camera on, you know, let me see you kind of thing, because um, people will quickly tell you, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Um, but you can get a sense really quickly from having an actual dialogue and, and conversation with them, whether they really believe that or not, and, you know, pick things out and, and, and coach, coax them rather into, really opening up and talking about, you know, what maybe some of the real resistance points are, maybe what they're hearing, what's going on. So there, you just can't replace human interaction with kind of getting to the bottom of, of where there's pain points or resistance in any, any topic. Right. And I think, you know, even though a lot of people have over the past year grown accustomed to talking to another face on a screen, face-to-face, more face-to-face in-person connection is really important as, as they go through kind of major disruptions and major changes with system implementations and new processes and new roles and things like that. Yeah, Trisha, and I, you know, that reminds me, is that because you were asking like what types of things are better in face-to-face? And I think we had a blend here because one of the other things that I kind of was thinking was like the kickoff or the, the initial parts of the meeting or the, uh, or the project rather to build that rapport with the team. I think we were fortunate because we had done some other work leading up. We helped with selection. I had worked one-on-one with a lot of the team members who were on design from the client site for several months before everything got shut down. So even though we were remote, I had already kind of built that in-person rapport with Mm -hmm. them and understood them and knew them as people. And I think that that helped a lot, I think. I I don't know personally, how effective or how different it might be. And Russ, you might have had an experience if I had started from scratch the project remotely and had never had the opportunity to build any kind of personal rapport. I'm assuming it could be a little different. Like you said, I think that makes a great point that being able to connect with them as a person is important. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. We had, you know, on on site there, um, we had kicked off the project and, and actually met with people. But I, I do think you touched on it, Tricia, when you said people are much more, they're comfortable now, I think, being on camera, but it's still, it still can be a little bit of a challenge, you know, to get, you don't typically have just get to know meetings scheduled, you know, so it's a little bit of a challenge to actually get to know someone as far as, you know, what are their 
interests outside of this project kind of thing. Whereas if you're on site, you run into them at lunch and you talk through, you know, you talk through things that are not related specifically to the project. So it gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to, to get to know people a little better. Yeah, I agree with that. And another podcast I listen to, the, the host gives her guests their minute to the world. And what I want to focus on for your minutes to the world is for companies that are going to embark on a system implementation, knowing that for now anyway, a large portion of their team will likely still be remote. What advice would you give them up front? Let's start with you, Russ. The world, I give you Russ Smith. Yeah, my advice would be just the preparation up front. The things that may seem minor, but things like patience around your design, your uh, project design phase and those kind of things as far as there are going to be things that occur that you don't count on, like you'll have a participant whose internet goes out or you'll have um, someone's little messages like, you know, mute your microphone when you're not speaking because you may get feedback and things like, things like that that you don't want to count on, that you don't count on. It's things that you would consider housekeeping items, but that make a big, that can make a big impact on how smoothly the process flows. Okay, thank you. And then Marty, world, I give you Marty Anderson. Embarking on a remote implementation, work on patience. Know that it might take slightly longer than if you everyone was in person because you have to work differently, um, whether it's meeting sizes, the amount of people that you can bring on board at a given time. It's going to need to be smaller and, and spread out a little bit more. You're going to have to do a lot more collaboration, especially with people in different parts of the world and, and the country. Give yourself time to do that. Think about what impacts that have on both the scheduling and the the elongated time frame as well as budgeting. Uh, there could be cost differences, whether it's technology, you know, providing monitors like Russ had mentioned, or taking more time and providing more iterative approaches to what you're trying to implement versus having it all at once. And making sure that you gauge engagement and really set priorities properly and let everyone know that this is a priority, what the expectations are up front, and just be consistent and be open to adaptation. You know, if things are go slightly differently than you thought as you get started, be flexible, adapt, and, and move and groove with it. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I think there were some great insights and, and you know, having been through it now, you know, over the past year and through different um, permeations of implementation work, I, I think your insights are fantastic. Really appreciate your time this afternoon, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group.